What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, joined with Jared. And again, for like the fourth time in a row, we've got a very special guest. We have Ashanti on with us. How's it going? It is going. Um, I'm here. I am fighting off some butterflies, which is weird because I'm I'm on live streams quite a bit. And you would think that I'm used to this by now, but I think it's different because I'm more or less the center of attention so i'm getting all plus there probably out. aren't as many bow ties on the other streams which you know that elevates the standard that's there. true yes there are like long ties but there aren't bow ties so maybe yeah. that's it and just long ties are key. just objectively inferior to bow ties <laughs> i can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny it's okay we we all know what the right answer is so <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking about anti-Semitism. And uh, so in America, which is where I'm from and where Jared's from, a great many atheists were former Christians in our previous life, or we were raised in a culture that is dominated by Christianity. And as a result, I think uh, very often we take the viewpoints that we got from our uh, upbringing and bring them over with us into atheism, perhaps, unexamined. And that can lead to us inheriting a lot of preconceptions and biases. And one of the ways in which that manifests is in atheist interactions with Judaism. Uh, this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. And you were also planning on talking about this topic. So uh, yep. I'm really glad you could join us. So in case anybody in the chat doesn't know you or who you are, why don't you introduce yourself briefly? All right. Well, hi, <laughs> I'm Vashanti. You might have seen me around. I help uh, content creators like Apologia and Dapper Dinosaur moderate their side chat. Um, and then I do collaborations with Dapper and people like Fossil Daddy. Subscribe to both of them. And uh, I grew up in the Deep South in Alabama. It's like the buckle of the Bible Belt. And I have a very eccentric family history. My mom was raised Catholic. My dad was the son of a holiness preacher. Uh, mom left Catholicism for like a non-denominational branch of Christianity when I was a kid. And she kind of raised me that way. And I somehow ended up at a Southern Baptist church when I was about to graduate high school. Um, I say somehow it's because I had a crush on a guy. And I started going there because of him. And that's, yeah, that's why everyone goes to a church when they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, and you got to make yeah, sure you know, if you're, you're a guy, like you carry the 15 yeah. church, the chairs. You have to carry extra chairs to impress all the women. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that's where I went for a while. And uh, then I, I became like a born again evangelical. And then I eventually kind of became drawn to Judaism and did a, a tour in the Messianic movement for a while. And I came to my senses and converted officially to Judaism a few years ago. So it's probably going to be a little hard to pin me down as a strict atheist or agnostic. But you know what? I don't really mind about labels. If you want to think of me as an atheist or agnostic, go for it. But are you an agnostic atheist? Possibly. <laughs> That's a mystery. Even I don't know that sometimes. So, uh, um. Yeah. So the topic that we're going to be addressing today, we're going to be throwing around a lot of labels, um, Christianity, mm -hmm. Judaism. We want to say ahead of time that Christianity is a massively diverse religion with a lot of different viewpoints in it. Judaism is also not a monolithic religion. There are a variety of viewpoints in both. And not all atheists believe the things or say the things we're going to be talking about. So if we say yeah. This is the Christian viewpoint. We're probably most likely talking about like a fundamentalist Christian viewpoint that's common in America. 
but if we say that uh, atheists think X and you don't think X, well, then we're not talking about you. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Religions are internally diverse, right? So, but um, and, if we are talking about this, you, though, yeah, <laughs> I'll try to clarify as we go. You know, I'm not going to specifically call out a lot of Christian doctrine because this is really not what that's about. It's mostly about where you know, the deconstruction process overlaps, you know, other types of dialogue. So, yeah, I'm not going to be talking about the Trinity or, you know, the nature of Jesus's incarnation or anything. It's not really my purview. So, so when we say anti-Semitism, what are we talking mm -hmm. about? What is anti-Semitism? Okay, what so is anti-Semitism? <laughs> <laughs> anti-Semitism, it was developed as a term a very clunky term uh, to make the word Judenhass or Jew hate seem more palatable to an audience using like vaguely academic terms. And it takes its phrasing from 19th century, just race-based junk science. Um, if you talk to any academics, they'll let you know Semitic is a language group. It is not a people. It's not an ethnicity. You're not going to, you know, walk over to your neighbor's house and find a Semite. So it's one of those clunky terms that I kind of hate using, but we're stuck with it for now. So eh, we'll work with it. So uh, a lot of atheists might be thinking, well, this can't possibly apply to me because I'm not anti-Semitic. You know, I love Jewish people. I have mm. Jewish friends. I can't possibly have anti-Semitic <laughs> ideas. Uh, so there's a meme that I think really kind of encapsulates the entire thesis mm -hmm. of this, uh, this entire stream, which is this is, <laughs> yes. this is the situation that's very often happening. You have anti-theists who are very angry and want to, to mm -hmm. throw rocks or dodgeballs at Christianity. And somehow every time they throw a rock, it lands right, it just hits a Jewish person right in the face every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those things you can almost hear it anytime someone starts typing their responses on the internet. You could just hear the ow, ow, ah, you know, <laughs> from people getting whacked with a dodgeball. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of atheists in the West, especially that used to be Christians. So, you know, it's natural that they want to kind of wind up and hit that group. I mean, there's a lot of unhealed trauma there. There's resentment there and I can relate. I went through a lot of anger and frustration because Christianity can be toxic. It's intractable. A lot of the time it needs to be dragged kicking and screaming into, you know, modern age moralities and things like that um so i've i've been there i can relate um but because those atheists tend to only have experience with christianity that kind of frames their whole view of religions broadly so when they hurl that dodgeball it ends up catching people in the crossfire so you'll hear me use the term christian atheist a lot and i'm using that very specifically to refer to atheists who used to be christians or who grew up and formed their ideas about religion in a Christian hegemony, like, you know, America and Canada, those Anglophone countries tend to be hegemonic, Christian and hegemonies. Growing up in the Christian church or many Christian churches, you are told that you know mm. a lot about Judaism because you use the same yeah. books. Like it's basically the same thing. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, that's a, yeah. one of those things you got to learn first is that the, uh, 
The Hebrew Bible and the Christian Old Testament are actually not the same thing. There is a variance in chapter numbering, in book selection, and in the order. So, yeah, if you uh, only know about Judaism by reading the Christian version of the Bible, you don't know much. Right. Uh, and you also, uh, I think, tend to put a bunch of mindsets onto mm. uh, Judaism that are common and like completely normal and, and so normalized in Christianity, it seems like the only way to do it. Right. Yeah. And so you, it, it's natural to assume, well, when I believed in the Bible, I thought X mm -hmm. and that like X is the entirety of your biblical worldview. And so yeah. anyone who believes in the Bible, which in this view would include Jewish people, they must think mm -hmm. so too. And that's not the case. So yeah, also uh, too, Jordan, sometimes when we deconstruct from our previous religions, we don't fully deconstruct. We bring some baggage along with us. So like we, we think we've gone through like all the closets, pulled out all the skeletons, but there's still pieces in there that we that we left over. So I think tonight's going to be useful yeah. for even myself to figure out like, is there still some things in there that I'm holding with me that I've carried over that I haven't had a chance to, to look at and examine? Yeah, so. that's why I'm here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, you're not trying to be bigoted. I I really do try to assume good faith. You know, when I'm listening to various atheists on their channels or podcasts, I can usually tell what kind of background they had by the way that they discuss religion broadly. And it's easy to pick out the fundamentalists. It's easy to pick out the people who used to be like a Catholic. It's good to pick out the people who were like, you know, Apologia was Mennonite. So you can kind of sense common threads in the way that they discuss things. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who treat Judaism as Christianity minus the Jesus part. And that is extremely far from the truth. <laughs> right. So there's going to be some topics we're going to talk about. like, And I want to focus a little on the difference between deconverting and deconstructing. Those are not the same thing. A lot of people right. use those interchangeably. Um, deconverting is Basically, you're not convinced anymore by whatever religious propositions you used to hold. You're, you can't control what convinces you. But deconversion, there's an intentional process where you systematically examine the tenets, the frameworks, the mindsets, and you have to pull those apart. And it's frequently very uncomfortable. And you realize of a lot of blind spots along the way. But it definitely helps... Um, in a pluralistic sense to unpack those baggages so that you yeah. can have better dialogues. So, And it's an iterative process. So to help along yeah. with that, uh, what we're basically going to do, we're going to talk about some ideas that uh, Christians and atheists who used to be Christians uh, held themselves or often hold themselves that they put onto Judaism, which don't necessarily belong there. And mm -hmm. uh, once we've unpacked those, so maybe a little bit of education on what Jewish thought is like, uh, we're going to be taking on some common tropes we've heard, even in the announcements mm -hmm. for this very video, uh, that are harmful <laughs> and explaining yeah. why they're yeah. harmful and why people should do better. So yeah. uh, let's dive right into that. One of the first uh, things that people, I think, tend to assume anyone who is still religious or a person who believes this book is true, uh, that they believe in univocality. And with that, big word. yeah, it is a big word. I, univocality. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> found it out. <laughs> right. Uh, so, what it means is one voice. So, the idea that mm -hmm. the entire Bible is a cohesive whole written by different people over time, but all saying the same mm -hmm. thing. 
that if you want to know what book A yeah. means, you can go to book B and that they're going to always be saying the same thing. So they must be in harmony, which is a mm-hmm. very common idea in fundamentalist Christianity. So what would be the yeah. Jewish viewpoint on that or one of your, your viewpoint? Let's just go with you. What is your viewpoint? <laughs> Let's just go with me. Yeah, well, I'm definitely, you, I want you to I'm... be the spokesperson for every <laughs> Jewish person ever. <laughs> no pressure. Well, there's a reason that there's a saying two Jews, three opinions, yeah. a saying like that for a reason. So we tried to make like a formula out of that and do it in like a proper, proper equation, like Jews opinions equals N plus one, you know, and tried to see how that would scale. But um, yeah, univocality, that's, that is such a big one. Um, the Bible itself, and you can discuss this with academics who are in the field, it's a collection of multiple writings by multiple people over multiple generations with multiple end goals and multiple theologies. And there are several books in there that have multiple versions of the same narrative. You know, there's this idea that there's, well, there's one single view of things in the Bible or the Bible says this, that's ahistorical and it's frequently fallacious. Um, And before someone starts, you know, shouting, oh, cherry picking, let me just clarify that everybody negotiates with the text, every single person that reads it, no matter who you are, where you come from, it's literally impossible not to do that. Um, Even if you want to get your theology from it, if you want to look at the biblical mandates, or if you want to look at laws, for one, there's no standing temple. So that one's right out. And the Jewish people themselves are largely in diaspora, and there are land-restricted instructions. Also, there are laws specifically for priests or men or women or slaves or animals, and no one person can hold those identities simultaneously. If you do that, I will be very afraid because you're probably some eldritch being from beyond. Um, and then there's like the issue that Judaism itself developed out of you know, polytheistic Canaanite cultures. And it wasn't monotheistic at first. It was probably polytheistic, maybe henotheistic or monolatrous over time. And so there's not even one single God view in the Bible at all. So yeah, univocality is right out. And this is not necessarily, this is not necessarily, correct me if I'm wrong, but this isn't like out of step with Jewish thought. This isn't like some weird... Fringe view, mm-hmm. like like some if if I stood up in a in a Southern Baptist church and said that, I, <laughs> oh, well, you know that would be a problem. But I feel like that wouldn't be a problem if it was brought up in a synagogue. You people would just kind of look at you and go, and yeah, <laughs> what's your point? Are are you going to finish whatever you were doing? Or yeah, it wouldn't be like in a Southern Baptist church where you could like hear the air get sucked out of the room and just people. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know. some woman <laughs> dramatically faints. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just um, see fruit start flying out of nowhere, rotten lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of similarly to that is the idea of literalism. Like the the Bible is mm-hmm. literally true, as except for all the parts that aren't literally true. But the yes, uh, that the Bible, like if the flood of Noah happened exactly as described, Jonah was eaten mm-hmm. by a big fish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything in the Bible happened as described, uh, and this is a again common view in fu- particularly fundamentalist Christianity. Uh, yeah. So, are you telling me that Jewish people don't think that everything in the Bible happened exactly as described? No, no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what are you guys even doing then? 
Don't you read your own book? Question a lot. <laughs> yes, actually, um, every day, or you know, depending on the cycle, you read through the entire like first five books once a year. So yeah, we read it a lot. Um, so I won't have time to unpack the whole thing here, but Judaism's framework of textual interpretation basically goes like this. You start reading a text and no matter how many mystical or homiletical interpretations you get out of that, whatever your conclusions are, they cannot contradict the plain meaning of the text. Now I'm saying plain and not literal for a reason. Um, it's not just idioms, you know, like when they say windows of heaven, the ancients did actually understand that literally to be, you know, windows in a dome above the flat earth it was like, uh, they call the firmament the rakia. So they did understand that literally, but it's basic linguistics and it's grammar. So the very first word of the Bible in the Torah is Breshit. And English Bibles tend to translate that as in the beginning. And that's really not the best way to translate that word. Um, Dan McClellan goes into a little bit more of this and Dr. Josh and Dr. Kip have talked a lot about this particular word, but I think a very, a more clear way to render that that would give you a better sense of that setting would be to translate it as in the commencement of or at the commencement of. So it's not in the beginning, it's when God started doing stuff. And you'll see a lot of Jewish uh, translations of Genesis render it that way, when God began to create the, the heavens and the earth. Um, so the plain reading of those first few chapters, it's hey, this is the beginning of the seven-day work week. This is laying out, you know, a mythological origin of everything. But you have young earth creationists who paint themselves into a corner going, no, it's very literal. Those were exactly six 24-hour days. And this is like in defiance of all known laws of science and logic. But Not they've just... assumed a conclusion and they've gone looking for evidence and they have to start doing crazy gymnastics to try to make it fit. But then a few verses later, they switch over to, ah, it's a metaphor, because even though they know there, there's not a flat earth and a dome with windows above it. So but even they can't be consistent. And that's like the big bang <gasps> or whatever, you know. <laughs> I've heard that. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so those two critiques that we just talked about, univocality and literalism, where they tend to get leveled at uh, Judaism by atheists is when they're combined and people will critique things that are in the Old yeah. Testament and basically challenge uh, this Jewish person as to why they believe that's OK. So like your text mm. endorses slavery you know, justify that. Like, wh why do you think All slavery right. is okay? Or, you know, mm -hmm. the God commanded genocide and mm -hmm. doesn't that mean you're worshiping an evil being or whatever? Uh, so what, why is, <laughs> so, so if, but I think we can see if the idea of univocality and literal literalism are not present mm -hmm. in Judaism, then they, the answer could, that would be like, oh, well, that didn't happen. Or, yeah. you know, or well, they were wrong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, disclaimer, there are certain branches of Judaism that trend towards more literal readings. Um, most of the time you're going to find those in Orthodox circles, but it's not like fundamentalist Christianity, even when they tend to drift that way. So, yeah, when you talk about, you know, the dodgeball, um, a lot of Christians assume univocality, you know, they assume, you know, literalism, but when convenient. 
it kind of undermines their critique because it lacks nuance. It lacks historical context. So, you know, you had mentioned slavery. You know, Josh Bowen just put out a 700-page book on how the Bible endorses slavery. And if you 700 want to hear about that, pages. We yeah. did an episode with him um, last week. Go check that out. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the first almost half of the book is discussing that issue and the back half of it is every other ancient Near Eastern law that has anything to do with slavery. So it's a one-stop shop. Yes, this was chill. Go buy the book. It's really good. Um, but because the Bible endorses slavery, does that mean anybody who uses that book in their tradition endorses slavery? Uh, Joshua, the text of that commands, you know, genocide and ethnic cleansing. Does that mean that anyone who uses Joshua in their tradition is fine with genocide? Uh, the penalty for causing a pregnant woman to miscarry is a property fine for her husband. Does that mean that anyone who uses that text must think of women as property? Like, you know, the no, the answer is no, because you know that every single person in tradition have negotiated with text. So I was trying to find out a good way to help people understand this idea. And because a lot of the audience is probably American or at least familiar with the way our cockamamie government works, um, the U.S. Constitution, this is a really good example. So if you look at Article 1, Section 2, Clause Number 3, you will find the three-fifths compromise. Slaves were only counted as three-fifths of a person so that the southern states, which owned slaves, would not have like disproportionate representation in Congress. Yes, it is still in there. Does that mean that every American thinks that, that Black people are only three-fifths of a person? No! Your immediate answer should be, hey, we fought a whole ass war over this. The 14th Amendment came out of it. We decided, hey, slavery is actually not okay institutionally. Don't talk about prison. And <laughs> the knowledge of that history and societal development and the struggle we went through to get you know, out of the system keeps you from making a stupid claim like, ah, well, the three-fifths compromise is in your founding document and it's in your law book, so you must think that, you know, all these other people are only three fifths of a person. That's ridiculous. But we do that to the biblical text, and it's a legal document in a lot of places. And I know that's unwelcome nuance. But every week, you know, I've watched atheist Colin shows, I've listened to podcasts, and the hosts start doing that very thing. Like they'll go, okay, they kind of sense that they're not getting anywhere with a caller, and they'll go, oh, yeah justify slavery, justify genocide, justify, you know, bigotry and all this other stuff. And it's like, you have no idea that these are two completely different tangents, you know, it's very frustrating. <laughs> so, so to, if this is in the book, that is a central part to your religion and those parts mm -hmm. are there, right. They are present in the mm -hmm. text. Then oh, yes. how is it that, uh, that you aren't held to that. What, like, what is the process that has been done to move past mm -hmm. that? Why is it that you don't feel beholden to slave laws? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's the question you should be asking is, well, if it's in there, why aren't they doing it? That's a good question. Okay. For the chat, if you've played Uno, put a one in the chat. One for Uno. This Because we're going to use... Uno as a good example. Kip Davis oh, yeah. was concerned <laughs> that his the Canadians <laughs> in the audience wouldn't understand, though we all know that you guys know what the American Constitution is. That, that's okay. Well, I got smoke for Canada too. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just hang in there. <laughs> okay, good. We're seeing a lot of ones. All right. Yeah. Uno's a it's a wonderful 
rivalry game. It's ended friendships before, but uh, this is a this is a good meme it's... that I found this week where someone had brought up Uno and I immediately went, this is Jewish coded. So <laughs> this is the meme. The official Uno account. Yes, With they have an official account. And they say you can't play a plus two on a plus two. And the top reply here is, thank you for the cards, but we'll take it from here. <laughs> and, you know, the, the commentary at the bottom is, hey, the only rules of Uno are what you can convince the rest of the table the rules are. That's how rules and work. I'm pretty sure that most of the people in the audience had no idea that there was a you can't play plus two on a plus two rule. And right? so then so what is the <laughs> parallel between this situation and Judaism? I am so glad you asked that. Okay. So before we circle back to the Uno meme, a little bit of context. Judaism and how it negotiates with the text. So Judaism is an ethno-religion that developed out of what was probably a loose confederation of various Canaanite tribes. And initially it was centered around temple worship of like a regional god or gods, and it drifted more towards monotheism, monotheism you know, as the Hellenistic period approached. You know, there were some leaps forward under Josiah and various things. But um, after the second temple was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70, Judaism had a very important decision to make. They had to adapt or go extinct. And the rabbis called a huddle and said, hey, everybody take a knee. We don't have a temple. This is a problem. How do we be Jews without a temple? So what they decided was, hey, let's formulate Judaism for diaspora. Let's center it around the home instead of around a building because we don't have that building anymore. And there was really only one sect of Second Temple Judaism that survived after, you know, the Romans just wrecked the place. And that was the Pharisees. The Sadducees were largely tied to the monarchy and things like that. So they didn't last very long without a temple because that was their job. And the rabbis just kind of made, you know, Judaism 2.0. And our identity was no longer centered around a geographical plot of land in a physical building. and that center of cult worship just decided to go with the people. And that's what they did. They're like, we're going to make Judaism portable. You can be a Jew anywhere. So the Hebrew Bible is one of our texts. And, you know, you've heard of the Talmud, probably. There are various legal codes like the Shulchan Aruch. And unlike fundamentalist Christianity, the Bible is the starting point of our discourse. It is not the finish line. So... If you try to hit up a Jew and go, yeah, well, the Bible says, burr, 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 they're just going to look at you and go, yeah, but the rest of the commentaries that we have say, da, 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 da. so you really have to ditch the univocal thing and you have to ditch the literalism thing because there's a process of, well, hey, why don't we do this thing? Uh, Judaism's constantly evolving. There are things that are morally unacceptable in the biblical text, like full stop. You can't justify slavery. You can't justify genocide. You can't justify bigotry or homophobia or patriarchy and sexism and stuff like that. That's unacceptable. So when you look at the text, which is the, you know, one of the ways that you have formed your identity, you have to decide, is this who we want to be? And there have been many times in the history of Judaism where we've looked at the text and gone, this isn't who we want to be. And so we change we negotiate with the text, we negotiate with this identity. So I pulled up a couple of uh, 
my favorite stories from the Talmud, and they give you a little bit of um, a little bit of background to how we view the text and how we wrestle with it. But I think you have a super chat. We do. So yeah. uh, from Pat for two dollars. What about all those Christians LARPing as Jews? Thank you for your super chat. <laughs> we're getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting to that. It's like you're reading my mind. <laughs> okay. So, and so before we you get into your yeah. examples, if I'm hearing you, it mm -hmm. sounds so to to, pay it, to tie it back to the Uno meme. It's kind of like God mm -hmm. said, "Here's the rules," and the mm -hmm. Jewish people are like, "Awesome, thanks. We're gonna take the rules and and we're gonna do our thing mm -hmm. with it." And then they're you know commenting yeah. on it and they're developing it from there. Yeah, so there's actually me my Judaism is house rules, <laughs> and you're basically yes. saying Judaism is house rules, <laughs> like Judaism. <laughs> yeah, it's. All house it's rules. Yeah, oops, all house rules. God is yeah. the DM, is the core book for the gaming system, but every table has its own DM and they, you know, make the rules fit the table, right? For all you gaming nerds out there. Um, I can't relate to so that. So, yeah. <laughs> sure, you can't. Um, do 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 do. Okay. So, there's another meme where somebody had done it in the style of like Tumblr fan fiction. And it was like God being the OP of the post being like, here's the Torah. I worked really hard on it. Here you go. And the Jews take it and go, Hey, OP, do you take criticism? <laughs> and I just, I laughed really, really hard. So yeah, there's a lot of homebrew involved. Thank you. Um, Icarus for that. So the first example from the Talmud is a passage that some of you might be familiar with. It's discussing a rebellious child. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just kind of go over it in broad strokes. This is something you can look up on like any Jewish dictionary. But context is Deuteronomy 21, where it's discussing a rebellious son. And the text says, hey, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey their father and mother and won't listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother will take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They will say to the elders, this son of ours is wayward and defiant. He won't obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you and all Israel will hear and be afraid. So if you stop there, you'd be like, whoa, killing your own kid. Uh, not what, a good look. That's what the book said. Got to do it. That's what the book says. That's the core rules. But uh, I'm pretty sure that no teenagers would survive into adulthood if people carried this out, literally. So we have to figure out, well, hey, what do we do with this? We don't just clip it out of the book and throw it away. I mean, we need context. Yeah. So what some of the early sages do around the year 200 or so is they start looking at the text and they go, huh, this is kind of tricky. So let's figure something out. And they look at the grammar, they look at the phrasing and the word choice, and they go, why'd they pick this word? Why is it phrased this way? And they go, okay, well, it opens up with stubborn and rebellious son. And it said son, not daughter, so girls are automatically off the table. Bam, you've already cut that down by almost half. Then it says, you know, hey, they need to be kind of like aware of what they're doing. If they're rebellious, you've already taught them kind of basic morality and ethics. So they have to have hit an age of responsibility. So what is that? And they discuss, hey, he's probably already hit puberty. So, you know, kids under a certain age are eliminated. So you've narrowed that field even further. And then they go, hey, it says, you know, uh, he's a glutton. So you need to think about the types of food and how much it is that they would need to eat to qualify as a glutton. Because it's not just eating. It's eating to a certain amount of excess. 
and they do these clever um, loopholes with the text and go, well, hey, if they didn't want you to use the metric of food to determine who was qualified and who wasn't, why is it in there? So you're using the text to narrow the definition without having to add anything. And by the time you get through the end of that paragraph and you read the discussion that they're having, the conditions are so narrow that no one qualifies. And, you know, you might be thinking, how could you possibly do this to God's holy word? How could you try to get out of it with clever loopholes? And it's like, well, do you want to kill kids for being stubborn and disobedient? Like, pick, pick a lane, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I thought we were here for harm reduction, not like, you know, rocking your kids to sleep, as Kent Hoven used to put it. I'm so sorry that I had to quote him. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Okay. I'm not that so, sorry. <laughs> so this process of renegotiating with the text is how mm -hmm. the Jewish religion kind of updates their house rules. And mm -hmm. like, yep. They, they've decided this rule doesn't it isn't who we want to be mm -hmm. this isn't how we want to live yep. we don't think this is this fits us and so we're going to renegotiate yep. with the text in this mm -hmm. particular way through these commentaries until we get to a solution yep. that we think fits what how we are yeah and that develops parallel with people in time the morality that we have as a society now doesn't look the same as it did 200 years ago much less 2000 years ago and if your system doesn't update with you, it's you're going to go extinct. You know what I mean? Um, evangelicalism and the fundamentalist, you know, corners, they're the smallest corners of any, you know, religion or tradition at all. They're the loudest because <laughs> I think they have a, some recognition that they're not going to last long. But, you know, you adapt or go extinct. That's that's the way that humanity has survived over the generations. You have to adapt. And as our ethics evolve and as our understanding of morality and humanism evolves, Judaism goes along with it. So, oh, another super chat. $2 from Gupdu3. The Torah protects Cindy Lopper's right to have fun. Thank you for your super chat. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> So um, another person um, I've had conversations with in the past was very much a fan of the literalist, like the Bible says this, you should do it, school of interpretation. And I flipped to a passage where it was discussing the holidays. And there's a certain holiday where we're supposed to basically camp out in tents for a week or huts. And it says, you know, build huts and do it for a week. And I looked at this person and I said, tell me how to build a hut. And they kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, build a hut. How tall is it? How wide is it? What do you make it out of? And they were like, well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, would you just, and they started making up rules on the spot. And I went, okay, so you're not text only. You can't be. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go so far as to say God handed down an oral Torah directly to Moses and it was secretly passed by word of mouth for generations until they wrote it down like that's not a plausible thing um if you believe that cool I'm not gonna try to talk you out of it I don't find that convincing but the idea there is that there has to be an explanation of some of the things that are in there because I don't live in you know a thousand BCE in a nomadic land I wouldn't know the context of what a hut looks like then, back then. So 
I need some help. People have already had these conversations, which is where the Talmud comes in. We don't read it as a dictate from the ancient sages. They've already had discussions and we're just jumping in on the latest um, update on the message board, so to speak. So a uh, couple of the chats, I think, tie into this. Wannabe scholar mm -hmm. asks, isn't this essentially apologetics in a way? And I think the difference <laughs> in flavor here is apologetics is often trying to like kind of justify, like we've got this belief and so we're going to kind of warp reality or what not necessarily going to try to argue to get to that or like to convince you of something whereas this jewish person isn't trying to convince you the atheist of any effing thing they don't care what you think and <laughs> and the, it, it's not like in a with a sense of proselytizing which i think apologetics kind mm. is this is just the way that you have the the mechanism that jewish people have to mm -hmm. you know yeah. update their beliefs um yeah it's identity you know, we're using the text as one of our identity markers and we can change our identity. Like fashion doesn't stay the same. Why the heck would people's traditions stay the exact same? So, yeah. uh, Vadim, I mentioned that you could not only be disbelieve and not be anti-Semitic, but you can also mm -hmm. be, you yeah. can disbelieve in God. You could be an atheist and be Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he says yeah. by birth, yes, but, uh, doesn't Jewish or some say being Jewish also includes the religion. So that segues into the next thing, which is yeah. uh, orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Mm -hmm. So Christianity. Yeah, we're going to learn some big words. Yeah, we're all the big words on this stream. Yeah. $10 words. Yeah. Only. So uh, Christianity, <laughs> it, you're, if you come from a Christian background, you're probably very used to the word orthodox. The orthodox view versus the yeah. heretical view. And orthodox mm -hmm. meaning right belief. What is the correct belief? And what you believe is extremely important. If you have the wrong mm -hmm. beliefs, you may, depending on what Christian you talk to, be burning in hell for all eternity. So that's orthodoxy, right? Yeah. What is orthopraxy mm -hmm. and why does it apply to Judaism? So for those of you who want a Greek bonus on your Scrabble boards, orthodoxy is right belief and orthopraxy is right action or right behavior. And Christianity ideally wants people to behave well because they think the right things, but obviously that doesn't necessarily work out in reality. Um, but orthopraxy is centered around action. It's how you behave. And to kind of pivot off of what Jordan mm -hmm. was saying, Judaism is a tradition of action. It's not a tradition of belief that way. Uh, to us, action is more important than just a thought bouncing around in your head. Uh, the labels of like thought, belief, faith, religious, secular, those are very Christian-centric terms, and they really don't map one-to-one -one onto the way that Judaism works. So I don't have to believe that a God exists to feed poor people or pursue justice or even take a day off to rest. Mm -hmm. I don't have to disbelieve that a God exists in order to study and read the text critically. So your belief is like, yeah, it's not really relevant. It's like, how do you behave? Uh, the same goes for, you know, other categories. And when someone converts to Judaism, like I did, uh, we're not asked to make like a profession of faith or walk down an aisle and shake the hand of a rabbi or say that Moses is God's prophet and the word is divinely inspired. Like, nobody asks you that. Uh, you're just taking a class that's usually about a year so that you can go through all the holidays at least once. You learn about ethics, you learn about some of the uh, central texts, you learn about different value systems, you learn a little bit about history and culture, and you might pick up a little bit of the languages here and there like Yiddish or Ladino, 
And what you are asked is at the end of that process, hey, are you here of your own free will? Yes or no? Usually the answer is yes. And then they say, hey, are you going to, you know, live among the people as a Jew? You're affirming like, yeah, I think I'll live as a Jew now. And then you're just asked to do Judaism. You're not asked to believe Judaism. And that was, you know, how my experience went. And that's the overwhelming majority of how people's experiences go. If you meet anybody that converts, it's a process you learn. And then afterward you go, yeah, I'll live as a Jew. And that's it. You know, you have a little, uh, it's an, like a de facto court. It's like about three to five of your peers. Usually it's rabbis. Sometimes it's lay people and they listen to your story. And afterwards you go do a ritual immersion and then bam, that's it. Woo. You're a Jew. Woohoo. <laughs> and I think that's worth uh, emphasizing that this entire process was about here's basically what it means to be a member of this community. And at the mm -hmm. end, it was, are you willing to do the things that we just talked about that are necessary yeah. to be a member of this community? And if the answer was yes, mm -hmm. then awesome. Let's yeah, get this and, water and come aboard. Yeah, there's no pop quiz. You know, you're not expected to know everything. And even when it comes to the the laws they're not acting like Torah police. Um, they'll ask you, do you know about the basic rules of kosher? And I was like, yeah, I know about that. And then I just straight up told him, hey, listen, I really, really love tacos. So this whole meat and dairy thing at the same time, like cheeseburgers, uh, I'm not a like super fan of that. And they didn't kick me out of the room. They weren't like, ah, you're disqualified. No Jew. They were like, okay, we understand. You know, give it a shot. See how it works out for you. They weren't like, oh, that's it. You fail. There no. is like, uh, because everybody kind of decides how that's most relevant to them. So. One of my good friends is Jewish <laughs> uh, and we were deployed together. And when we were getting breakfast in like the chow hall, one time he had his little mm -hmm. ACU yarmulke on and <laughs> serving ourselves. And he like had, he put a mound of bacon, like a, a, a heat <laughs> pile of bacon on his plate. <laughs> And I was like, <laughs> I, I said, Rousseau, weren't you Jewish? And he's like, yeah, but bacon's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, that's something I've, I've actually talked to people about this. They're like, well, you're Jewish. Don't you keep kosher? And I'm like, well, yeah, but not the way you think. And they're like, well, I can't believe you can't have bacon. And I'm like, I can eat whatever I want. I just choose not to. Right. If I want to go have a piece of catfish for lunch tomorrow, I could totally do that. No one's going to come out of the woodwork and go, ah, Jew, break the law. Confiscate no those menorahs. Uh, yeah. Savage says, uh, it seems like <laughs> Jewishness doesn't map well to the, the Christian yeah. idea of what a religion mm -hmm. is. Yeah, right? it really doesn't. It really doesn't. Uh, if you're coming out of Christianity, the idea of religion is what you believe and that the things mm -hmm. you believe are true about the world. And yeah. that's just not what Judaism is about. It's not. <laughs> it is not. And it, it, was it can very... be. It can involve that, but it doesn't. Yeah, it can. Very... Yeah. It, it doesn't have to. And right. there are atheist rabbis right now who are leading prayers or doing counseling work or studying texts in a yeshiva, which is like our equivalent to a seminary. And there's no contradiction there. No one's going to go, oh, I can't believe you don't believe in God. Like, yeah, that'll rock some worlds for people who want to be theist or feel convinced by, you know, the, pr the principles of theism, which is fine. But that's not a requirement. 
we actually have a very long tradition of agnostic or atheist sages and notable figures. And I mean, hello, Spinoza, anybody? Yeah. So, so go ahead. At this point, it seems like mm -hmm. we've been really, uh, we started with the same place, right? We had, we started with a collection of books um, and we have two very different religions. One has been focused more mm -hmm. on practice and one is more focused on belief. Yeah. Um, but if you're coming from this Christian centric worldview and you have this lens, if you don't understand the other side, yeah. it can be very easy for you to view them in a different way or also to yeah. do, make actions that would treat you, treat them differently as well, which I think we're going to get into. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've had people tell me, well, you don't behave the way that I think a Jew should behave. So therefore you're not a Jew. Right. Like, because it's definitely their decision. Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm like, your opinion on how to do a Jew, do Jewishness. If you're outside of this community, it means like less than nothing to me. Like, yeah. Uh, don't care. Like, <laughs> so one of the things when we were talking about this, uh, in the, mm. when we were talking about doing this and leading up to this, that, uh, kind of struck me was about how the laws mm. are about markers of like, uh, like, like identity markers and how yeah. like because it's a, a, a because of the w way it in which it's a religion there's not this separation that like people in yeah. america think i'm an american and a christian and those are two different things uh like yeah. i've got my culture my religion <laughs> and they're the twain shall the, meet the maga crowd where right. they're like oh you gotta uh, be a christian to be a good american leader and so like Alex asks, well, why don't, so when this comment came up when we were talking about like the negotiation, mm -hmm. right? And he's yeah. asking, or they, I don't know what their pronouns are. Why don't uh, they, Jewish people, mm -hmm. just change the text? Like, just, just why go through this process of this thing? Why not just, <laughs> just change it and do whatever, you know? Uh, why would so, we change the text? Yeah. Why uh, would you do that? Uh, super chat, I mean, if you're, Tabioca if you're playing, Lisbon, okay. Two dollars. <laughs> no true Jew. <laughs> Yeah, so I felt that if you're okay, if you're if let's use the D and D, the D and D uh, analogy. If you're playing a, a homebrew at your table, are you gonna go to the headquarters for Wizards of the Coast and go, "All right, we're gonna rewrite the entire core book based on our homebrew"? I mean, they're probably gonna be like, uh, "Security, they're gonna escort you out." <laughs> and they're gonna be like, "Why, why, why would you do that?" On you, but you know, <laughs> oh, Pinkertons, God. I was not very excited, but I was also kind of excited to for people to learn that the Pinkertons were stood alone because yes, they're as shitty as they always were. So they leaned into the it. Pinkerton Hate Club. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Back, back to Judaism. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so this kind of ties into something that uh, a comment I've seen on Twitter is well mm -hmm. like i'm an atheist i'm an anti-theist i don't hate jewish people why can't you just like throw away the religion part and keep the culture part i don't want you to change your culture just stop being religious i mean first of all stay in your own lane i'm not gonna go breaking down a sick temple door and go you guys should get rid of your religious part because i don't like it personally like what that is that's extremely rude um and it's also very Christian centric. It's very like Western value centric. And 
I really resist this idea that, well, I figured it out and now I get to dictate how everyone else should think and feel and believe and do their culture like, bro, just leave us alone. Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. We do not go out the streets looking for converts. Like, if you want to convert, yeah, sure, come on, we'll leave the light on for you. But you're not going to find us out on the street holding, like, cardboard signs going, Moses is the way and the Talmud is the, you know, true text. Like, no one cares. We just want to be left alone to do our stuff. and because a lot of people treat us like, you know, Christianity minus the Jesus part. They just kind of import all these assumptions on there. And they're like, well, you're probably just the same old bigoted fundamentalist. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, dude, stop. Just can you learn anything about anything? That would be great. So I think what <gasps> that the piece that people who are saying this are missing is that <laughs> it, it, the culture and the religion are in inextricably twined, intertwined. Yes. But it's not religion in the sense that the Christian blends would tell them of I believe in the yes. God and I believe in this creation. It's this is our mm -hmm. cultural internal identity. Here are the rules you yeah. that we follow as a community that mark us as a mm -hmm. people. And so like yeah. by telling some by telling you what you should do, instead of going through this process of renegotiation, you should just rewrite it from scratch. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to telling anyone in a different culture well what you do in your culture doesn't make sense to me so you should change your culture because it doesn't make sense to me it's not how i would do it which like hmm you know Sounds that's a not lot cool. like you know colonialism <laughs> right like if if hmm. <laughs> you know hmm. it, it, different cultures are different you just wave they that are, red flag yeah, around because yeah. wow uh, I went to a, a Trevor Noah show recently, and one of the the things he said that really stuck with me was, uh, "It's it's a different culture. That it's different, not wrong. They do it differently. Yeah, that doesn't mean they're wrong. Yeah, just they're different. And yeah, if if I think people take nothing away, nothing else away, if they took just this away, that yeah. people who would do things differently from you doesn't mean that they're wrong for doing it that way. As long as they aren't hurting yeah. anybody, like who cares, right?" Yeah, and it's one of those things where you really have to learn pluralism. You have to. And I had started a, another set of notes for a different video, but you just reminded me that pluralism isn't just tolerance because that's a really loaded word. You know, well, I'm just putting up with this thing and I hate it. Like, I don't want that kind of tolerance. I want people to be able to look at something or someone that's different and go, that's different. Okay. And then just move along. You know, it's not affecting you. And yeah. you definitely don't see um, Jewish people trying to abolish abortion or gay rights. In fact, we're uh, on the front lines of a lot of these struggles. Like there are traditions in Judaism that prioritize access to abortion. So, you know, you have a lot of the Christian fundamentalists out there trying to go, ah, God, the Bible's against abortion. And first of all, we should not be legislating based on any one religion at all and second of all when our religions differ especially on a topic like that you can't just pick one and you need to allow people to access these things so you know they are like well we're trying to you know practice our faith but it's actually infringing on everybody else outside their group's faith and i really detest that uh yeah. like terry says you can be jewish but why can't you just be normal i can just you know <laughs> Obviously being sarcastic. Where's the smiling cry emoji? That's how I'm feeling uh, right now. <laughs> they also said earlier uh, they found the Jewish treatment of their holy text to be a lot more sane. And that reminded me 
uh, when you were showing me when we were prepping for this, you pulled up a mm -hmm. picture of like the Talmud and it had like mm -hmm. the, the, the original text and then all of the commentary around it, which was so cool. Oh, to me oh yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's like, it, it almost bakes in, I don't want to, I don't want to put the label skepticism on it, but the, the questioning mindset of like, here's the original and you can't look at it unless you're also looking at all the commentary, like how like right. intertwined that was. I think I can share my screen. Let me know if you can see it. Um, I have pulled there up a page, yeah. an example page of our Talmud. This is what one page of the Talmud typically looks like. So when you're like, oh yeah, you guys are interpreting your text, that's a lot more sane. Oh, my friend. <laughs> oh, my friend. So this is one page. This little teeny section at the top here is right underneath the big fancy box. That's the Mishnah. That was the first kind of line of discussion on the message board. And then there's another smaller paragraph below that. That's Gemara. So that's, you know, several message board pages of replies later. And then there's a column on the right-hand side. That's always Rashi. He came about in the medieval period. His commentary is always on the, like, right-hand side of the page because he's adding to the discussion. So that's more, you know, commentary and people joining the discussion. And then on the left-hand side, you have, you know, cross-references or uh, what we call Tosafot which are later additions to, you know, Rashi or people from other regions commenting on the comments on the original text. And then, you know, there's little, um, what are they, index references and, you know, scripture tie-ins and things like that and other various notes. And this is what every page looks like because you're not just starting from scratch every time. What's happening when you study Talmud or even the Bible is you are joining an ongoing conversation that's been happening for all these different hundreds of years. And first of all, why would you want to start from scratch? Two, people have already talked about this stuff. Why don't you look at what they're saying and go, hey, maybe I agree, maybe I don't. Rabbis disagree with each other constantly. And two if Jews, you three ever opinions. want... <laughs> two yeah. Jews, three opinions. And sometimes two Jews, five opinions. Um... <laughs> There are a lot of commentaries where, you know, Rashi will say something and then later on uh, Nachmanides will come along and go, Rashi said this, but he's wrong. And here's why. And he'll just write this like total rebuttal of a different sage's opinions on stuff. And those are equally valid. And I love that discourse, disagreement, uh, wrestling back and forth with the text and with each other. That's part of what we do. It's Twitter and replies, you know, it's a Reddit thread and all the sub threads, you know what I mean? It's an ongoing process. It's not just one declaration and everyone must agree with it. It's like, nah, we got a whole lot of different opinions and viewpoints and lenses and cultures and times and yeah. David, David Oakland asked, what was that in the far left-hand corner? So there was like some text. Oh, those are, at, um, those are <clears throat> additional commentaries and cross-references uh, sometimes they'll be referencing a different Talmud. There's two. And the most frequently studied one is the Babylonian Talmud. There's another Talmud that's less studied because it didn't get as much redaction time. So it's a little less easy to parse. Um, and that's the Jerusalem Talmud, which is my favorite. But of course it would be because I'm just that person. Um, and the like central part of the text is the, usually the same more or less between the two, but all the commentaries and the frameworks are different between the two. So 
yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Alex Marklass, why wouldn't you at least reformat all that writing at some point to make it more readable? What do you mean? Is that not readable? You don't know Aramaic? <laughs> so what do you I, I'm sure there are. It's Wait till you a lot get to the formats. commentaries in Ladino and Judeo-Arabic. Like uh, Maimonides, which is one of the most famous other people, he wrote in Judeo-Arabic. Like he served in, you know, the Egyptian uh, caliph's court for many years and he wrote quite extensively in Arabic. So it's so, good to be a polyglot. <laughs> but also like, I think this, that comment touches on the pluralism mm -hmm. thing we were just talking about. It's like, yeah. th not that those, I'm sure there's plenty of ways it's been published and packaged and stuff, but let's say, that, oh, yeah. let's say this is the only way it was mm -hmm. different people doing their culture differently. Doesn't mean it's yeah. wrong. If that's how it works best for Jewish people to interact with their own text, yeah then great. Like yeah. it, it, I could totally see somebody saying, why would we reformat mm -hmm. it? Then you would be minimizing all of these commentaries. And that could be a perspective like that's, that's completely not your call to make. Like, right. There are a lot of cultures even to this day that use um, storytelling by mouth or oral traditions in order to pass down, you know, their history. They'll do it through story or through song or through dance. And that's just as valid. Like, that's their culture. That's who they are. They've been doing it for thousands of years. Like, who am I to just roll in and go, nope, it's wrong because it's not like mine. Like, what? Right. Uh, though, David of Oakland has a good counterpoint. If English <laughs> is good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for the Talmud. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's... Man, I've talked to people who have looked me in the eye with a straight face and said, well, Jesus spoke English. I mean, it's written in English. And I'm like... <laughs> It's right there, right on my bookshelf. It's right there in the King James Bible. Which so, is <laughs> uh, oh my God, no, look, okay, so the chat's calling me out. They're really mad that I didn't talk about the oven of Achnai. I was getting there, but, you know, it's, you got a Jew in here. We're not going to stay on topic. So, okay, one of my favorite stories in the entire Talmud. I used to hate it, and now I love it. It's quite literally one of the greatest stories like ever. So I'm going to share one more time and I'm going to kind of read through this, um, this story. I'm going to try to make it a little bigger. Okay. And then once, once we're done with the story, we're going to be circling all the way back to why yes. this counts as anti-Semitism. So we've seen, you we're going to come back later. to the Uno deck. I didn't yeah. forget. Okay. So there is a really cute, catchy song on the Bim Bam channel called Lo Bishmayim He, and that's what it is not in heaven it means in Hebrew. Um, so this comes from the Babylonian Talmud, and this is from a section of stories that are told in a narrative style. They're not literal history, so you know, don't try to be like, I can't believe you guys think this happened. It didn't literally happen. This is an example. Again, okay. literalism, go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay. An oven was constructed out of layers of clay with sand in between the layers. Rabbi Eliezer says, hey, yeah, this oven's pure. It's good to go. And the, the rest of the group of sages, which I can't remember how many there were. I'm sure Simone probably knows. They're like, nah, it's it's not cool. It's impure. It's not kosher. So Rabbi Eliezer is like, excuse you. And so he argues with them. And he's like, no, I'm right. I'm right. Here's why. And they just would not listen. They're like, nope, you're wrong. And so he goes, the law is in my favor. This carob tree will prove it. And the carob tree uproots and like moves a hundred yards. And the other sages go, well, we don't take proof from trees. So Rabbi Elazar tries again. He says, okay, the law's in my favor. This river is going to prove it. And so the river turns around and flows backwards. 
And the sages are like, we don't take proof from water. Eliezer tries a third time. Okay, the law's in my favor. This house of study, the Beit Midrash, will prove it. So the walls start to collapse in on themselves. And Rabbi Joshua's like, hey, hold up. Walls, if we're arguing about the law, that's just none of your business. So the walls are like, uh, and they just kind of freeze in place. So they don't go all the way back up straight, but they also don't collapse to kind of split the difference between the two parties. So, you know, Rabbi Eliezer's hitting the end of his rope here. And he's like, okay, the law is in my favor. I'm going to prove it. Heaven will prove it. So a divine voice comes out of heaven and is like, what are you arguing about? The law goes according to Rabbi Eliezer on all matters. And if you were a fundamentalist Christian, you'd be like, well, that's the end of the story. God said it. Mm, done. Yep. But Rabbi Joshua, who just rebuked the house of study, got up and quoted Deuteronomy 30 and says, it is not in heaven. And you're like, wait, what? Why is that a, a win? So, you know, another rabbi explains, hey, God, you already finished this draft. You already printed the core book. Torah was already given at Mount Sinai. From that point forward, we don't rule according to divine voices coming out of the sky. And then he paraphrases Exodus 23, where um, the straight text says, you shall not incline after the majority to do evil. But he's paraphrased it in a way that interprets it, you shall incline after the majority to do good. So you're like, whoa, did, did they just tell God to get good? Like, what's happening? And so later on, uh, Rabbi Nathan, another rabbi, is talking to Elijah the prophet. And it was like, hey, um, did you see what happened back there? What was God doing this whole time? And Elijah goes, ah, the Holy One was going, ah, they got me. My kids, <laughs> they got me. Like, And this story is literally us going, hey, once that core book is printed and handed down, we get to do the homebrew. And there's more to the story, but... This is the perfect encapsulation of how Judaism deals with the text. Even if a divine voice were to come down and go, you should all be eating no cheeseburgers. Or if it said, you should eat cheeseburgers. We would be like, uh, you already like gave it to us. So you don't really yeah. get to say anymore. Cool story, but we're talking here. So, you know, <laughs> cool story, but like we were like, talking what's going on so this is the equivalent of the uno meme god going you can't play plus two on a plus two and it's like we have the cards we'll take it from here thanks you know so, so yeah that's just one of those things where people are like well i can't believe but god said in the bible and it's like well we don't listen to these decrees even if a divine voice were to come down we don't rule by divine fiat we follow you know morals and ethics and logic so so A.L. Yeah. Trucker said uh, <laughs> he wanted to make sure his disbelief, disbelief in the God of the Bible and the mm -hmm. thing, the events therein, uh, isn't misunderstood as anti-Semitism or some mm -hmm. sort of hatred. And I yeah. think what we're getting at here is not only can you disbelieve everything that happened, that's none of it's literally true, the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. didn't happen, you could do all that and still be Jewish. Not only like it's it's not yeah. like there's no contradiction there. Um, yeah. And so if that kind of disbelief in and of itself isn't mm -hmm. anti-semitic uh jonathan becker earlier asked you know why why is any of the stuff mm -hmm. we're talking about an is anti-semitic how how like like okay these are misunderstandings but where does it cross that line you yeah. know oh we're getting and to that <laughs> so we're, we're getting, getting to that. that right now okay. so 
we've talked about mm -hmm. the misconceptions that atheists have and some of the ways that yeah. those misconceptions are levy leveled at uh, Jews in online discourse. Um, and I think that um, one of the best ways to demonstrate kind of what, how all this comes together to end up manifesting as something that's anti-Semitic is to use an mm -hmm. example. Um, yeah. And like, before you get there, just to kind of clarify, because I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Like, have fun with the text, because we do. I mean, look at the story I just read. How can you read that and not start laughing, like, legitimately? Can you imagine, you know, being in a group of religious leaders and God comes down and goes, hey, you're doing it wrong. We're like, um, who invited you? You yeah. know? Thanks for the book we're, killer. We'll take it from here. <laughs> thanks for the book, uh, Wizards of the Coast, but we're doing a homebrew and you're not invited to the table right now. So... And it's fine if he wants to play, but we're doing the homebrew rules. So yeah, get, get with this table. So talking about religion and culture and well, this is religious, but that's secular. And why can't you do the culture part? But why can't you do the non-religious you know, religious part? And the way Christian atheists largely don't understand that is the religion is the culture. The culture is the religion. It's an ethno-religion. It's not just an ethnicity. It's not just a religion for whatever you take that to mean. It's one identity. You can't separate them out. Jews are Judaism. Jews are Judaism and Judaism is Jews. And the thing that makes us Jewish is exactly the stuff that makes other people not Jewish. And Canada, because I said I had smoke for y'all, Canada's still dealing with the repercussions of the residential school system. And they took kids away from their indigenous families and they denied them access to their clothing, their language, even their hairstyles. And they separated them from their entire family because they wanted to civilize them or Christianize them. And by assimilating them, it literally erased who they were. And it was a form of genocide. And when I hear people saying, well, why don't you get rid of the religious part? Or why do you want to get rid of the thing? You know, if you want to get rid of the things that make Jews Jewish, you want to get rid of Jews. Right. Sit with that for a minute. Like, like you said, that's cultural genocide and genocide is bad. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can agree. <laughs> it's all of those things at once. And again, it's not based on the thoughts rattling around in your brain. Right. It's not relevant whether you believe in a God or not. You're still a Jew, either right. by birth or conversion, whatever. And, <laughs> and so nobody is saying, saying that the Bible is incorrect when it's like it, it, this, a literal interpretation of the Bible is incorrect or whatever. That's not mm -hmm. being anti-Semitic. Saying that mm -hmm. you think this way, usually incorrectly, but you do these yeah. things <laughs> that don't fit in that I disagree with. So you should change yeah. those things. That's the problem, right? Yeah. Um, are you ready for so the one of my, example? Um, one of my peers um, in the Jewish online community, her name's Jessica Price, and she is a fantastic writer. She puts this way better than me. Uh, she has a, a blog post talking about modular religion, which is how she phrases it. And she kind of explains this Christian mindset of how belief is just a chip that you could unplug at will and substitute with a different one or nothing at all. So you know, there was a mention of like Messianic Jews. The idea of you unplugging the Jewish belief module while being a Jew and just plugging in the Jesus module or 
taking like the Messianic Jews, you unplug whatever other belief chip in a Christian and just replace it with the Torah chip. Like that's not how that works at all. Um, it's apples and brake pads, so to speak. <laughs> Which don't make good brake pads apples as a rule. They're both useful for two completely different purposes. You might be able to make an apple into a mm -hmm. brake pad if you tried hard enough. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Like you could do this like Johnny dangerously. You could use an apple as a brake pad once. <laughs> That's true. That's once. True. <laughs> so uh, for an example uh, of all of these mm -hmm. kind of behaviors lumped in together, yeah. uh, there it was a particular Twitter thread, uh, tw Twitter thread, Twitter thread by a gentleman you may know as Holy Kool-Aid, who is a uh, atheist YouTuber. And mm -hmm. he posted this meme. Um, for those who can't read, it's a little small. Uh, anyone else thinking this celebrating this holiday is fucked up and it has Passover because lamb's blood helps God kill the right kids? That's the meme. Um, and so before I say anything about this, I'm not going to be like, oh, no one should listen to Thomas Westbrook ever. Don't watch Holy Kool-Aid. His series on faith healers is really good. Faith healers are grifters and they're charlatans. So I'm not going to be like, ah. Oh, Ditch this guy forever. Canceled. Like, no, and we're just using I, this as an example of, hey, there's room to grow. I also don't, I, I mean, I don't know this guy, but I'm I'm yeah. willing to believe that he's not like a secret neo-Nazi or anything crazy like that. <laughs> yeah, it's I just, mean. Like, I'm sure he's a fine, pleasant person. It's just, the, the, this just goes to show how this kind of yeah. mindset gets imported without any scrutiny and can lead yeah. to very ignorant takes on the internet. So um, the meme so, that he yeah. has reposted and that I have very poorly crossed out because I didn't want to just repost it uncritically. It's making the point that Passover is about killing kids. Like, haha, killing kids. That's so wrong and gross and that's fucked up. And there's other uh, screenshots that we're going to show where literally immediately a lot of people who were both Jewish and non-Jewish jumped in to go, hey, yo, what the fuck, man? What are you doing? Do you want to retract this before you make an ass of yourself? And the long story short is no, he did not want to retract this. And yes, he actually did end up making an ass of himself. And therefore, I have now brought this into the conversation as an example of what not to do. So um, why don't you explain <laughs> quickly, uh, why is this an anti-Semitic idea? Like what, it, so okay. isn't, isn't there the story in the Bible, there's a yeah. story in the Exodus where they have the, the plagues, mm -hmm. and one of those plagues is coming yep. the firstborn. So why and, mm -hmm. and why oh, would yeah. celebrating this event not be bad? All right, cool. So this is textbook anti-Semitism because it is completely ignorant of how Judaism celebrates its holidays and recognizes its text, but it's also importing Christian, well, bad Christian theology onto Jews. So his idea that aha it's about celebrating bloody death of kids wow what a shitty god am i right ha 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 stupid jews stupid anyone who celebrates passover am i right and because again the meme later, was about the celebration passover it was about the celebration of kids killing killing kids specifically and immediately a bunch of jews jumped in and go hey uh if you've never been to a passover seder <laughs> just let us know we don't celebrate passover that way 
In fact, there's only a very brief part of a Passover Seder that mentions the plagues, much less the death of the firstborn. And my friends, it's not a party where we are like, ha ha, death of firstborns, ha ha, death of kids, woo, get wrecked, babies from Egypt. Like, <laughs> sucks to fact, suck, nerds. Sucks to <laughs> suck, get wrecked. Like, there is a, a tradition in a, a lot of Jewish communities called the Fast of the Firstborn, and it is done in the lead up to Passover. And it's one of these things where you're memorializing this event and going, whoa, this was serious. Like, I'm glad that me being firstborn, of which I am, uh, I'm glad that I, you know, am alive. That's pretty awesome. Life is cool. So, <laughs> Tapper Dinosaur. He says, Judy Jitchy Babies. <laughs> what do they know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, Passover, it is quite literally... First of all, there's no archaeological evidence that the, that the exodus happened. I mean, shocking to some people to learn that. But, you know, hey, Ron Wyatt didn't actually find chariot wheels in the middle of the Red Sea. Like, this is not a thing. And the charred mountaintops at Sinai, those are just geological formations and stuff. So, yeah, that's not something that literally happened. So, so again, that's an example of that this meme is importing ideas of literalism into mm -hmm. a religion that doesn't have those ideas yes but more specifically the idea that jews rejoice in killing babies or being bloody about you know children specifically that is something called blood libel and that was really popular in the medieval age um blood libel is a very old christian anti-semitic trope and it accuses Jews as a group of being bloodthirsty baby killers and an especially disgusting version of blood libel um, claimed that Jews would kill Christian babies so that we could bake their blood into our matzah. And first of all, matzah is literally just flour, water, and maybe a little salt and oil, and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, but there were actually periods of really extreme anti-Semitism leading up to Easter where Jews would be accused of murdering a child or a child would go missing and they'd blame the Jews and then there'd be a lynch mob or violence or some people would be killed. And by accusing Jews with this crappy meme of being like, ha ha, child death, yay blood. In, by spreading that narrative, it's just repackaging blood libel. Like, it's this cre cringy, like, r slash atheism meme, and it's bloodthirsty Jews, am I right? And then he gets really pissy when people are pushing back on it. Um, uh, super chat from Vendelia, 1998, oh, yeah, 199. Uh, it says, trying to watch both you, us, and the Ohio issue voter result. Uh, yes. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, appreciate the super chat. Really hope that this mm. election goes well. I'm in Virginia, and... Uh, if the Senate could remain blue so we can restrain our extremely bad governor, that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> Voting in primaries and local elections far more impactful than just doing it once every four years for president, just saying. So, uh, But um, so, so yeah, so this is repackaging of the blood libel. It's putting mm -hmm. on this idea of, first of all, believing that that happened at all, but also celebrating that specific part of the story. It's like, that's what's important. Mm -hmm. So, so like, as a brief aside, what is Passover about? If it's not about that, what is it actually about? Liberation. Like, the story itself is a very trumped-up version of, we were slaves, but then God set us free. Yay! That's the whole point of the story. And, you know, American slaves used to read the Exodus and find inspiration from it. 
do you think that they were reading the text and going, haha, killing babies? Like, no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Um, do you think that Thomas intended to do blood libel? No. Do you think that he set out that morning to go, ha ha, I'm going to do gonna some Juden hass. I'm, I'm going to show, some those <laughs> show those Jews. Like, no, he didn't intend to do that. It was the ignorance of the context that caused this situation, we'll say. And what was really unfortunate about it is that when people were like, yo, this is not even close to being correct, he doubled down. And it was really frustrating to watch because different people were trying so many different ways to phrase it to say, hey, man, this is not correct. This is really off base. You're just repackaging blood libel. And in fact, uh, there was a slide in there from uh, one of Dapper Dinosaurs things that was like, hey, are you just going to accuse them of poisoning wells while you're at it? And that didn't go over well. Because, you know, in Thomas's mind, beliefs are fair game, but his idea of what the beliefs are completely wrong. So, uh, Dr. Tapioca Weasel for $100. Thank you so much for your generosity. Amazing. Wow, amazing. Bright red. Uh, at risk of embarrassing myself in the hopes of helping understanding, let me say that uh, I could slash would make this mistake. I took a convo with my Jewish therapist where even though she's an atheist, she felt uh, the AS here and educated me, but it wasn't. Anti-Semitism anti-semitism yeah and so like yeah. i this is I, mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be embarrassed because i got a when i first yeah. saw that meme i was like i feel like there's something wrong here but i didn't fully really understand mm -hmm. what the implications were until i started talking to my jewish friends and then, it, then i understood so like it i think the problem comes in not like the not understanding because you can't mm -hmm. help how you were raised. You can't help. You don't know what yeah. you don't know. The problem comes exactly. in the yeah. doubling down. And like when you're saying, hey, here's this thing that Jews believe. And Jews are saying, no, it's not. Let me no! tell you what Jews <laughs> believe. And you're like, no, 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 no. I know what Jews are like. Like that's where the problem is. So, um, man, I, I think there's a really. That any, but this could happen <laughs> to anyone. Right. And so. Yeah, like, no it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And again, ignorance is a really easy problem to fix. You just learn. And I mean, honestly, we all have cell phones. It's That's almost the sum total of human knowledge in your palm right there. You can look up almost anything that you want and have answers in very little time. So if you're making a comment and first a bunch of people from that marginalized group go, yo, this is not correct. And then B, a bunch of neo-Nazis start showing up to your thread going, yeah, man, glad you're seeing the light. You might need to pull back a little. <laughs> If if I ever ever say anything, <laughs> and a bunch of neo Nazis start cheering, I will yeah. immediately assume I'm wrong, unless I have compelling evidence <laughs> to the contrary. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I I think this kind of gets to the heart of what <laughs> yeah. Jordan and I's channel is all about, though, and it's the skeptical mindset, right? So being willing yeah. to change your mind, being willing to. It, Jordan and I, I have said stupid stuff and said incorrect stuff on this channel, but mm. when we were informed about it, we said, oh, sorry, we were wrong. Let's yeah. fix that. And now we're right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, have but... you ever been wrong before? It happened to me. Well, see, the yeah. thing is, you can be wrong one time. So you were wrong about Christianity. So ah! you changed that, but now you can't be wrong anymore because you're an atheist. Yeah, you, yeah. So I used you up don't... all my, I used up all my, my attempts there. Man, should have saved it for something good. Yeah. So uh, hmm. Alex asked how people explained his mistake to him. And the answer is many and varied ways. Uh, many and sundry ways. Yeah. Did any uh, of them go over? 
So yeah. some of the highlights, mm-hmm. I don't want to relive, rehash this whole Twitter thread, because that's not the point. We're not trying to do Twitter drama, right. just being a, a thing. Yeah. But some of, some of the points that kind of stuck out were this, uh, that learn, he said, learn to separate people from beliefs. You can respect the former while critiquing the latter, which is true. You can. However, you yeah. should be correct about what you're critiquing. And when you say, well, this is a mm-hmm. Jewish belief and all the Jewish people in your threads are saying, no, it is very much not. That should be a clue, yeah. right. And so here, yeah. uh, so kind of making a laundry list, putting literalism, that's incorrect. Univocality, that's incorrect. Saying that um, this is the way that Jews believe when Judaism mm-hmm. is an orth is, a, is about practice, not beliefs. That's another red flag. Um so these these are kind of like you can I hope you can see how these are kind of combining into making a yeah. Voltron of, of shittiness. Uh. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> it's like when you say you can critique the belief, but then your idea of the belief is haha, killing kids. Am I right? Like right. And as we have discussed, that's you know, I think Jordan, is that what they call a straw man? That would be. A straw man, Ooh. in fact. Yeah, that that can serve as today's fallacy of the day, since we probably since we didn't uh, prepare one. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. Today's fallacy yeah. of the day is a straw man fallacy, yeah. where you make yeah. up and a fake I version of people's beliefs. I do not want people trying to jump all up in his Twitter thread and black put them all no. like. Do not do that, I, Thomas. Again, do the, not watch the, this the, video the, and think that I sicked an audience. Like, do not. I did the not. Takeaway here um, is not. Thomas is a bad person. The takeaway no, is here is just, Thomas hey. is probably a genuine person who does like Jewish people. And yet, even still, he had yeah. this ignorant take. And so this should yeah. be not not a like Thomas is bad, but there, but for the grace of God, go I sort of <laughs> the idea. Yeah, God, I kind of hate that yeah. phrase sometimes, but um, uh, yeah. And also, like, I really, really like what Simone in the chat is saying. Um, one big thing that comes over in a lot of this stuff is people assuming, well, no one's ever had this brilliant thought before about this morally ambiguous problem. Like, we've been having these exact conversations for 2,000 plus years, ever since this narrative was written down or passed along a campfire or whatever, in whatever form, people have been discussing the morality and the ethics of this story and God's role in it. You are not the first person to have this thought, you know, in fact, as Jews, we question the decisions, commands, and values of what's being told to us by God in the text lots of times. You might know about this one really obscure story from this dude you've probably never heard of named Abraham, and he had a kid, and God goes, hey, Abraham, we're cool, right? And Abraham says, yeah, we're very cool, like, we're tight, we're besties, and God goes, okay, kill your kid and abraham doesn't even hesitate he's like all right put the kid in the wagon we're going up the hill anybody who reads that story should immediately ask themselves hey uh why didn't he hesitate what's wrong with abraham right now why is he not hesitating any rational person would be like "Mm, maybe i shouldn't sacrifice a kid but in history people did use to offer up their kids as sacrifices so there's historical context b there's an ethical conundrum Why would God tell him to do that? Was Abraham right to start doing it? And is it a virtue that he started to do it? Christianity considers it a complete virtue that Abraham was going to do this. They're like, well, he had faith. 
God was going to raise him from the dead because, you know, Isaac was the promised, you know, seed and all of his kids were going to come through there. So Abraham's faith was so good, you guys. It's like, uh, yeah, because being stabbed by ever... your dad wouldn't be traumatic at all. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be traumatic as heck. I wonder how Isaac dealt with that after, honestly. And there's rabbinic literature that writes, like, no. essentially fanfic about their relationship after. <laughs> Savage, Savage with the $2 super chat. You mean to tell me that Jews disagree? Disagree? <gasps> no, what? Yeah. But uh, here's a thing. Here's a question that was asked to me one time, and I will pass it on to you. Has it ever occurred to you? that Abraham failed the test. And I know what you're probably thinking. Yeah, but the text says God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Again, is that the correct assessment? Ask yourself that. There's not a right answer. This is something that you need to wrestle with. And wouldn't you know it? The word Israel is God wrestler or struggles against God. And ah, oh, we do that a lot. Right. So like, yeah. even if bringing it back to the Passover thing, even if you thought like this is an evil thing, that that doesn't mean because of the way that Jewish people approach their text that they would feel yeah. married if they agreed. Yes, that was wrong and bad. And we agree. And that's not yeah. at all, again, not contradictory. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> we should be able to call They're... out that bad beliefs bad practices but when somebody is but if you don't understand what somebody's beliefs actually are that's the thing yeah. or if you don't understand what their practices actually are that's another thing so part of this is having this preconceived notion of what you know jews this, believe or practice and then just going on that yeah. assumption this, you, know. you have this christian caricature of right. judaism yeah that you're, is, is and what that's you're a lot of if you read a lot of medieval disputations between like jews and christians it's just caricatures all the way down it's cringy and it's awful honestly but if any of you happen to know like any neo-pagans or wiccans you can immediately trigger them the same way by going why do you worship satan i can feel the psychic damage in the chat right now because anybody that understands anything about neo-paganism or wicca will be like you don't believe in satan what are you talking about it's like asking a christian why do you worship vishnu they would be like what? Yeah. So one question <laughs> that I that uh, I hadn't brought up before, so I'm going to take a risk and just bringing this. That's on okay. Me. I'm good off the cuff. Let's go. Yeah. So somebody on Twitter asked me when I was promoting the stream and talking about anti-Semitism mm -hmm. and atheism. They're like they base they challenged me. They assumed that I, I don't know what they said was how come I can't criticize practices like circumcision and say that they're wrong. Right. Why would that be yeah. anti-Semitic? And yeah. I well, first of all, I think the answer probably would be that wouldn't necessarily be anti-Semitic. I mean, Jewish people, some Jewish people I've read also mm -hmm. criticize that. But I, I think. All the time. Right. And so, first of all, that, again, misconception on what the attitude is among Jewish people about their own practices. Uh, but to, so what would your perspective be on someone if someone said, I think circumcision is wrong and bad? So there's a, an account, an, another, my other favorite account on Jewish Twitter or Twitter. Um, for those of you on Which, Blue Sky, there's a, I love there's a, yeah, there's a Jewish version of Blue Sky and we call it Jew Sky or Jew Ski because it's spelled <laughs> the same way it's spelled the same way. Yeah. Didn't. So one of my favorite accounts is Just Say Christian. And 
that's basically, you know, the, the summary of a lot of his replies to people is, you know, you, you were saying the word religion, but really what you meant was Christianity. Why don't you just say Christianity instead of saying religion? So he frequently will reply to people in these very discussions and they'll go, why can't I critique the beliefs? And his exact words are, you're not qualified. This is one of those instances. You can critique, you know, the theology or the practice or whatever, but you need to know what they are first. And the vast majority of people who came from a Christian background or live in a Christian hegemony do not know what those beliefs or practices are. They are not even qualified to have this discussion. Uh, $5 super <laughs> chat from Dagob Oakland. This has been a great discussion. It's got to go. But if oh, we have you on again, I'll definitely tune back in. Thank you very much. We will endeavor to do that. that. Yeah. Uh, so Ale Trucker says genital, genital mutilation is wrong, and I don't have a way to care if that insults anyone. I think what we're saying, and I don't necessarily care for the wow. language there, <laughs> but I think what we're saying, Al is that it's okay to have critiques as long as you start by understanding what the practice is and then engaging mm -hmm. in a in a conversation with the person who is doing the thing that you think they're doing checking to make sure that you're accurate yeah. and then approaching it like a dialogue as opposed to people tend when they when they people tend to assume they understand what's happening without understand without actually understanding mm -hmm. right and i think that's what we're getting yeah at. I mean, honestly, we're we're running out of time, which sucks because a lot of these I get a lot of these replies. Um, what's unfortunate um, for like you know Al Trucker um, or Alex in the chat is if I get a hundred replies, ninety nine of them that say genital mutilation is bad, you shouldn't do it, da, 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 and use those phrasings are neo Nazis, and because that's the overwhelming majority of people who use that exact phrasing when they're trying to like get in my mentions, it really turns me off and makes me not even want to engage because those people are arguing in bad faith. Um, I know that your people in your chat are not arguing in bad faith because if they were, they wouldn't be here. Um, so if you want to... Yeah, if you want to approach those conversations, like, freak out, let's talk about it. Um, yeah. But you have to approach it in good faith. You can't be like, I've already made a decision and nothing you say can convince me and you're wrong and I just want you to say you're wrong. Like, that's not how... Wait, neo-Nazis argue in bad faith? What? Uh, I think, but I think if if we've learned anything from this, it should be, yeah. the takeaway is, it. I think is, if... Jewish people had this conversation and agreed as a people that this was a harmful practice and they didn't want to do it anymore, then they have a process and a mm -hmm. culture of, of changing that practice if that is something they decide to do, right? So it's not like yeah. it's not like this is going to be it, it's not like it's a, a cultural tradition yeah. that is inflexible and insensitive to the harms of, of people, right? And right. so yeah kind of going off on the assumption that that's just the way it is. And if you don't agree with that, you must stop being Jewish because being Jewish is bad because of this yeah. reason, I think is kind of the attitude we're getting. At. Yeah, because, and again, like I I see some people going, well, I don't think that's true. I don't think that most people who are saying that are neo-Nazis. Like my mentions literally get filled up with people saying this 
the shit to me. Yes, it happens. And whether my hyperbolic mention of 99% is wrong for you or not is irrelevant. It happens a lot, like a lot, a lot. It's the same crowd with Pepe avatars that go, the Talmud says, and then it's like some crappy, like, JPEG that's just been compressed to all hell, and all the citations are wrong, and have books that aren't even in the Talmud, and they're all just, it's complete bullshit. So, yeah, it happens. And those people, again, they're arguing bad faith because they're neo-Nazi trolls. And these are discussions, again, that people have been having for a very long time. But there's also historical context to saying, you should not be allowed to do this thing. And, again, we don't have the time to go into that. Which sucks because that specific topic is a big one. Um, but it's like, if you're going to approach this as a discussion and go, hey, what do you think about this? How do you approach this? Are there Jews that don't circumcise? Like, yes, there are Jews that don't circumcise their kids. And they, they themselves are not circumcised. In fact, if I could get that out there, if a guy um, or a person who has a penis wants to convert to Judaism... They actually don't have to get full-on circumcised in the way that, you know, you're probably thinking. Um, if they choose to go to a physical ceremony that is equivalent, there may just be a, a quick uh, pinprick of blood. Not, all right, here, bite the bullet, boy, right, we're going <laughs> to get you half off. All right. Yeah. Like, but even at that point, if, if they're an adult and they're consenting and they want to do it, then... If it's an adult... Oh, they yeah. ask you, hey, are you comfortable doing this? If you're not, okay. That's not like, ah, you're disqualified. Like, again, right. again, this is extremely yeah. important in that sense. So people approaching it from a conversion perspective get to make that decision. So, Steve Reno, $2. What does God need with a starship? I don't know. <laughs> that, that movie. <laughs> what movie is this? I'm not, I'm not familiar with the... Star Trek. Like, Star Trek the movie. Like... Okay, Wait, the old Shatner version of oh, Star Trek. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Star Trek <laughs> thing, Five. Yeah, because they meet really... God in space, oh, yeah. and God's asking them for a starship. And oh, right. Yeah. They right, say, right what okay. is going to be the star? Okay, it's a whole thing. Watch it. It's, again, the odd numbered Star Trek movies aren't as good as the even numbered ones. I stand by that. Star Trek's the all best good. one. Don't I'm at good. me. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing we didn't really talk about, Shanti, and something mm -hmm. that I think is relevant. To the conversation particularly when it comes to christian atheists is that many christians uh, when they or christian mm -hmm. atheists when they were christians were actually taught uh in church and sunday school that jews were bad okay uh because yeah. they were the ones that crucified jesus so like there's this all this baggage and even implicit mm -hmm. things or, that are going on inside their brains because they've been conditioned to relate using the um, word pharisees as a pejorative yeah exactly mm -hmm. so a lot of that oh, stuff yeah. when you're going through your deconstruction it's not just understanding uh the practices and the belief system but also understanding your own perception yeah. of even the word that you know yeah um there were so many other things that i trimmed out of my notes because i <laughs> thought we were going to run out of time which you know yeah. we will but we will, um, yeah. another big scrabble bonus for you folks out there in the audience is deicide that's another very ancient if not the og christian anti-semitic trope jews are collectively responsible for killing jesus and they're you know eternally guilty and it's okay to persecute them because they shouldn't have done that da, 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 da. 
And first of all, Jews didn't crucify anybody. That was the Romans, actually. So two, the Sanhedrin did not meet at nighttime. What are you doing? And three, the Jews and specifically like the Pharisees are the perennial villains of the New Testament. And if you think that you know anything about Judaism or especially Second Temple Judaism by reading the New Testament, you don't. You really don't. Um, When you call someone a Pharisee, you're just calling them a Jew. Because Pharisees are the antecedents to the rabbis. So. Yeah. And also. What are doing? <laughs> not Won't get into this, but the Pharisees are not yeah. the ultra legalistic, like, don't care uh, about no. people thing that you, the, the caricature that was given to you in Sunday school. That's not accurate. We won't get into that, but that's just Mm-mm. not accurate. Uh, yeah. It's so not accurate. We, that would be the Sadducees. <laughs> I think what the what we the kind of the topic we just touched on and like the way that it's mm-hmm. being approached touches on what I, I think is an important thing for atheists to keep in mind when we get into this or any kind of discussion atheists yeah. and skeptics is like what's the goal what are we trying to accomplish by yeah. having this discussion and right. i would submit that the goal should be to help people to enhance well-being and to seek the truth yeah. right um, and yeah. if that's our goal as skeptics, then that means that in order to pursue that goal, we should be careful that we're not harming people who are different than us or forcing our beliefs on other people or those yeah. lacks of beliefs. Both None of those things would go to those, go- those goals, right? So stopping right. the practice of any and all religions in and of itself <sighs> is a goal that not only doesn't make sense, but is harmful because yeah. not every religion is Christianity. There are some religions exactly. that are newsflash different from christianity and <laughs> aka all the other ones <laughs> right and uh and in some and in some cases uh the religion is inextricably linked to the culture and so if you eradicated the religion you would eradicate the culture and that's genocide so <laughs> that's genocide this is exactly why i was mentioning like indigenous and first nations people that is why i did that because americans have a very recent frame of reference for that you know, um, not letting them dress the way that their people dress, not letting them speak their language, not letting them wear their hair that way. All the things that are the cultural identity markers, even the religious or are what they would think of as ritual practices. Those were either forbidden or specifically, you know, um, removed. And that is a form of genocide. And again, that's not something that we do here. Um, Secularism, as I see people discussing in the chat, um, secular and religious, again, does not map one-to-one onto other religions like it does to Christianity. Um, There are Hindus who will very just vociferously argue with you about what's secular versus religious. There is not a clear boundary there. And you really have to have the context before you go into these discussions thinking, "Ah, I know everything I need to know, all religion bad. (laughs) Haha, I'm so enlightened. Like, uh, don't, <laughs> don't <Right>. do that. <laughs> Cause I, I really care about the atheist community. If I didn't care, I wouldn't be bothering. I wouldn't be wasting my time. I would just be like, ah, eh, and I'd write everybody off. I actually appreciate the atheist community because they are raising legitimate criticisms and speaking out against Christian hegemony, especially Christian nationalism. That's a critical discussion we need to be having right now because it's not just harming Jews. It's harming trans. It's harming homosexuals. It's harming people from any marginalized community, anybody in the LGBTQ spectrum. That's harming. And they're speaking out about it. So 
I want them to have really strong arguments. I want you guys to be able to take on these bad faith actors and be able to do it in a way that's not setting up a bunch of straw men. Because, like, we hate it when the freaking apologists do that. You know? Mm-hmm. It's the most annoying thing in the freaking world. Like, Frank yeah. Churton's up there and goes, oh, it takes too much faith to be an atheist. It's like, oh my god, atheism's not a faith position. What are you doing? Like, That's a ah! great point is that um, channel how frustrating it is when Frank Turek tells you as an atheist what you think. Now, have some empathy (laughs) and imagine how it feels to a Jewish person or a Hindu person or whoever, like when you're telling them how they believe and they are actively telling you that you're wrong, right? So That happened actually to, I saw a clip of uh, Shannon Q and Paula Gia where like somebody had called in and were out talking to them about, you know, oh, you know, you're suppressing the truth and you're unrighteous. And so, you know, Shannon just point pointedly asked this person, are you calling me a liar? And they're like, well, no, 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 no. I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying that the Bible says that you're intentionally disbelieving. And she was like, hold up. I'm telling you what I'm doing and what I think and what I believe. Your book is saying something else. So you are calling me a liar. And she made this person admit it. Like, you are calling people a liar about what they know in their own mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> your book says it. Like, are you kidding me with this? So, coming on two hours, so let's bring it to a close <laughs> and yes. summarize everything we've gone over thus far. Mm-hmm. So... There are yeah. things that Christians view when it comes to the Bible that, that are like mm. some Christians that are just intrinsic to the way that they perceive the Bible. That some of those yeah. things include univocality. The Bible says the same thing throughout, that it is literally true. Um, mm-hmm. That the things that it prescribes in Exodus or in Leviticus are applicable today without modification. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and these are not attitudes that are shared by uh, in judaism this is not how we read the text in fact i think and simone will correct me if i'm wrong i think it's rashi who is speaking of the first like two chapters of genesis and he says if you think this is six literal days you are in error like you are doing it wrong (laughs) and um i that was so refreshing to me when I had come out of a textual literalism, six day creation, 6,000 years old, you know, evolution, like reading the text critically and it's encouraged. That was liberating for me. I love studying. I would be in, you know, some sort of seminary or yeshiva or rabbinical school getting my master's degree if I had the money for it. Cause I love to study. I love history. It's one of my favorite things now, but I didn't know this stuff. Because it was all, oh, literal this, Bible this, you know, what's the word? Uh, sola Scriptura, you know. I got liberated from a lot of that. It was causing toxic thinking and toxic behavior. And learning pluralism and learning how to just, hey, people are different. That's fine. It doesn't affect me. It's cool. Just leave them alone. Yeah. That, uh, honestly, that changed my life, man. The, the, I, and really internalizing that other Mm -hmm. cultures are different not wrong Mm -hmm. and people can act differently and that's okay and in the case Mm -hmm. of judaism specifically that it is a religious faith that's about 
right practices, the the practices that identify you as Jewish, not beliefs. And so that the culture and religion are inextricably linked. And so when you're saying that, so if you try to tell someone to Mm -hmm. stop doing these cultural things, that's what you're doing. You know, it's it's not criticizing religion. You're basically telling them to erase their culture. Yeah. And this is a this is my final vocabulary bonus uh, for you Scrabble nerds out there. I am begging you to learn what etiology is. I'll even spell it E T I O L O G Y etiology. Please learn what that is. It will completely revolutionize the way that you read the Bible. Instead of thinking, well, this is either literal and it happened, or it's all just fake, made up, you know, Sky Daddy fairy tales, LMAO, Rafflecopter, like. No, there's a third and yet fourth option, and it's etiology. Every culture does this. Every culture does it. it Sky Daddy fairy tales. Into... But I only lack yeah. the least <laughs> Yeah, it's so cringy. But yeah, learn what an etiology is, and then go back and read Genesis and see if you don't go, oh, shit, that's how they explain patriarchy. Like, wow, damn. You know, because that's what uh, it is. Dapper Dino maintains there's literally no one who practices sola scriptura, right. which is true. I mean, they may say yeah, they are, very true. but in fact, like that everyone's negotiating with the text. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's where we got all the way here to the end. Is there anything Woo-hoo! that we can cover that you would like to make sure we hit before we go? Uh, it'll probably hit me when we're done. Like we pretty much went through the the outline that I had. We didn't really talk about utilitarianism, but that can be a different discussion. We can come out uh, here. Is there, if people would like to hear mm-hmm. more of your hot takes on Judaism <laughs> or anything else, <laughs> where should they go to learn more? <laughs> oh man. Okay. Honestly, just learn history and learn the history of the text. So just check out academics like Dan McClellan, Kip Davis, Josh from Digital Hammurabi. Uh, Mark Luther is another scholar that you can look at. Jennifer Bird. There are so many good scholars out there doing this work. Joel Baden is a great one. Just learn history from people who study it for a living. You don't have to go to like a random person on the internet. I mean, you could do some Googling. You could read, you know, the Jewish Encyclopedia. You could do stuff like that. But honestly, some of those academics have been instrumental in helping people unpack these ways of thinking because they're just presenting it in a historical context. And yeah, as <laughs> and don't uh, learn your history from Richard Carey. Yeah, don't get your history but from Richard Carey. Whatever uh, else you do, <laughs> do not do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, don't uh, don't do that. <laughs> his uh, his takes are so hot they're plasma, and yeah, yeah. Terry wants nice. to thank you for representing all the opinions of all Jews simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we didn't pay Man. attention earlier. So. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what though? It's so funny. I'm actually not worried about the trolls or people trying to at me and be like, defend this thing. It's actually like my Jewish peers. They're going to be like, why didn't you phrase it this way? Why didn't you mention this story? Why didn't you right. discuss the grammar of this verse? That like, those are the ones that I'm really paranoid about because they're going to call out every little mistake. They're going to be like, hey, you did good, but so. <laughs> Yeah, those are the ones going to keep me up tonight. <laughs> um, so uh, hopefully we can have you on again. This was 
Excellent. Thank you to the chat. And thank you, especially to those who uh, send in super chats. It really helps the channel. Yes, helps us, thank helps you. me That's convince my wife that uh, we are not, in fact, going to go bankrupt running this hobby. Uh, <laughs> if you would like to support us in yeah. other ways, uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, you can go uh, give us money to do this if that's what you want to do and you'll even get to see our videos ahead of time uh, live streams included once we have a time machine yeah. we haven't figured that out yet we'll get there um, and yes. at the request of everyone <laughs> don't in the you know that juice can time travel well I mean with the space laser I think it's something to do oh with I don't know hang on yeah. you do you realize that I am actually in the secret Jewish space laser core it is oh mazel tough baby <laughs> pew pew <laughs> take that Marjorie Green yeah. Yeah, uh, but if you That's don't, a joke, people. yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's all humor. Uh, if you don't uh, join our Patreon, and everything that's that's you can still support mm -hmm. us by liking, commenting, sharing this. Uh, especially if you run into somebody who is an atheist that might be falling into some of these yeah. uh, ignorance traps. Uh, hopefully, this can help them out. Um, yeah, help your help your peers out. I mean, that's again, that's why I'm doing this. I care about this community because they've helped me with some of my religious trauma as well. Like, it's not like I just converted to a different religion and I was suddenly okay and didn't have any baggage. Like, no, it took a long time to get, you know, through fear of hell or whatever. And the atheist community is where I unpacked a lot of that and people reassuring me that they've been through this. So I care. I'm invested and I want to be your ally and I want you to be our ally because you're some of the strongest allies that are out there. So, yeah. uh, DM with two dollars, peace and long life, live long and prosper. That's right. Uh, Thank so, you for knowing both halves of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks again for joining. Uh, subscribe so you can see when uh, we have this lovely guest back on in the future or whatever else we do. But until next time, remember you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.